Hello, my fellow K-holers. Um, essentially, uh, for this episode, the audio isn't as high quality, but we really wanted to put the episode out anywhere because we found it really interesting um, and we really enjoyed filming it. Um, but we just couldn't get our normal studio for this week. Um, but next week, it should be back to normal. Um, and thanks very much for listening. Um, if you guys have any like topics or um, questions or suggestions, just send them over to... Instagram and we'll answer them. The K-Hole. Welcome to the K-Hole. Uh, another episode of the Knowledge Hall we have. Thank we're very grateful for having Mr. Burgess Smith on. Yes. And I believe he wants to talk about identity politics, which is something he's passionate about. And um we've done a bit of research ourselves into it and we think it's a very interesting topic, so take it away. Yeah, I mean Identity politics is a really fascinating um, conversation for one reason mainly is that it focuses so much on the idea of offence um, and you know what's offensive and what's not offensive um, and sort of I think and the reason it's, I find it so interesting is because people saying I identify as this in and of itself isn't too interesting you know we've been identifying all our lives all that stuff like. One of the yeah. but it was what's interesting is how not only we've changed how we what we use to identify ourselves, but also how people react to that. Well, I'm sure not everyone that listens to this will know exactly what identity politics is. So if you could sure. give us more of a broader description, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, identity politics just is the idea of what I mean. How how would I describe it? It's the idea of politicizing and talking about like how people identify so it's the idea of um and, and the problems people have with that um and, and really really that it's it's as simple as that a lot of it is often associated with um gender and sexual identity um and how their their identity affects other people um and other people taking offense to it did you do a dissertation yeah, so my dissertation was on uh, gender in uh, Roman, in Ovid's Metamorphoses, and trying to look at how gender in there could be representative of how un- gender was understood in the Roman time, specifically at the time of the millennium. Oh, so that's quite interesting. Is that why you became? Yeah, I mean, that's, why, that's one of the things I became really interested in it. Um, you know, loads of such. There was loads of sexual politics happening at uni uh, Bristol, which is one I went to. It was like a real hub for that. Um, it was a really interesting place because I was sort of like semi-ostracised from the LGBT plus community there because I was like a right-wing private school boy. So there were a lot of people who were like, oh, you're a conservative scout. And there was points where I was like, this is supposed to be a safe space for me. And I was ostracised out of it. But then, um, because people are sort of like, you can't, you don't deserve to have an opinion because you're a white privileged male. Um, and people are saying, well, I'm this, that, this, and the other, so you can possibly understand how I feel. Yeah. And therefore, my opinion, well, they didn't say this, and if you are saying them, they're like, no, that's not what I meant at all. They would, it would eventually come back to the idea of like, therefore, because I identify as all these major things, I'm allowed more, I don't know, right to have a say than you are. You're not allowed to have an opinion or your opinion doesn't matter because uh, it's not as valuable as mine because mine is more marginalised. 
I think that's the other thing is sort of within identity politics is not only how to identify, but how marginalised are you? How much privilege do you have? Yeah, that is, I would, it, it could be seen as sort of a bit of a problem because the whole idea of these groups who come together as a safe space for mm. LGBTQ communities is to give everyone a say and everyone mm. a voice, but it almost counteracts that when some yeah. people who aren't necessarily needing that voice as much don't have that voice anymore. Yeah, no, and I, I, mean, I find that especially with um, like the BBC for example. Yeah. Then every everyone they have to give everyone a chance, and it's fair. It's fair enough to give everyone a chance. It's fair, but there is there a point where you have to stop that? Like there has to just be a point where the best person for the best job. Yeah, and I mean, it's it. This is and this is why I find it really interesting. This way it gets really complex and really interesting. Instead of if you've got two people with the same credentials, and actually you've got someone who is a privileged, um, you know, straight, white, male, and confident, and has all these privileges attached to them, and on paper they're the exact same person, but this one is really like outgoing, really chatty, really easy to get along with, um, and, and just like a really great person to have around, versus someone who's not you know, perfectly lovely, but has come from a much harder working background, is, and is like, they can do the job well, and then lovely, but this guy, but this other person's like, oh, they just, they just want to have them around the office, and the other person is like, they can do the job, and actually, our quota suggests that we're more favourable towards that person anyway. Should we be employing the person who doesn't fit the privilege role just because we need to get our quota up. And then, you know, and then it's the other thing about, well, the other, this person could fit better in the office, this person has a better fit with the culture. But then what are you saying about your culture of your company? Do you think that's happening a lot with companies? That they're just trying to fill quotas? I don't, no, I don't think it is. I think that's an extreme, really extreme example. And I don't think it's been, it is. It's been illegal for a while, surely. Well, it's well. Quotas have become a thing, uh-huh. and those are important. And it's not, and it, it's always going to be tricky. And because a lot of the way that companies will like process people allows for like individual opinion, allows for character over traits. Uh-huh. Um, and allows for, well, we just don't think they'll be a good fit. And so, and it, it is always tricky, and that was a really, like, kind of an extreme example mm. of, like, a minor case. But I think generally there will be a ploy to encourage more, uh, to encourage a more diverse workspace. And I mean, actually, it has been proven that the more diverse a workspace you have, the better the company does. Yeah. Um, just because it, and diverse is, you know, such a broad word, not just, you know, ethnically um, or in terms of gender or anything like that as in just having lots of people with lots of different backgrounds and experiences trying to achieve the same thing provides a more profitable company so actually that has been proven and that is a thing but is that is that been proven at certain firms or yeah uh, so it's it was a study I can't remember now but it was something certainly something that I did an internship over the summer with Smith and Williamson Mm -hmm. 
and they were sort of they, they showed me this article which was like a scientific study and obviously the bigger the firm and the more diverse people you can have yeah. um, the more it's sort of applicable and like a small firm like five people uh, right. while it could be profitable if you've got loads of diverse people at the same time it's such a small group of people you're not trying to achieve the same goals as like a multi-million dollar yeah. corporation um, yeah so it's I mean that's one of the really tricky things and I mean one of the things that I always found really interesting was how people felt of sort of like um, that like they get enough it's sort of like oh is it oh god is, it, is this what we're doing now it's like tribalism yeah, and I mean, so I mean, Ben, we had that debate the other day yes. um, about the rainbow poppy. Yeah. Which the only thing that I found really interesting about it was that the reaction from not just you, but quite a few of your of people was just, God, the gays have enough. Yeah. It, I mean, and I'd be interested to see like what your thoughts were on like. Wait, so the, that. the rainbow poppy, what was that? Was that so? That so was, Ben, yeah. So um, it wasn't actually ever really a thing. No. Someone listed of rainbow poppy on ebay and they got a lot of abuse from it because people didn't see it as like a necessary thing so what we debated was um that it was was it a necessary thing was, was that the question? i think i think the question we settled on was the rainbow poppy is a valid form of is a valid act of remembrance yes uh and i mean we were against that proposition yeah, we were against that, but, but we came from a different angle. Yeah. We were saying that the red poppy unites yeah. people anyway, so there's not really much of a need for a rainbow poppy. But even in our research stage, yeah. I mean, you and then I spoke to a couple others um, of you know, Grace and S later, and they, like, the first thing was like, the gays already have a month. Why do they yeah, need a poppy as that well? That did come up, but I mean, I. I disagree with that in a way because we found out during the research yeah. that at the time they were persecuted much more. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, pers- there was one guy who was like castrated, wasn't yeah. he? For just being gay. So, I mean, that was a big argument on their side yeah. to say that they deserve a rainbow poppy because they weren't necessarily recognised mm. at the time for fighting for their country and they had to mm. sort of hide away what. Their, their feelings mm. otherwise they'd be at risk of you know yeah. being killed but then but then as well you had um, but I mean correct me if I'm wrong but um, the, the poppy also represent, represents the Jewish community so there's not a Jewish poppy is there uh, I'm not sure about that but what we found out is that there are actually a bunch of different mm. coloured poppies uh, so there's a black poppy that represents the African-Americans and, well, not African-Americans, just the, um, the black people that fought in the war. There's a white poppy. Is that for animals? The white poppy was just, like, for peace. White poppy for peace. Maybe the purple one. There was, like, a purple one, purple one, one for, for animals. animals. Uh, there, were, there were a bunch of different poppies. Which... And then there was the black poppy for uh, ethnic minorities. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a bunch of poppies already which represent different minorities and groups mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. What's wrong with one poppy that just represents everyone in society? Yeah. And then that's when we get into the really interesting yeah. stuff, sure, which is... Then segregate people because yeah. it's them showing that they needed something different. Precisely. You've had one thing, through that bring everyone together then. Right. Um, 
No, exactly. And that, and that, like, and that is the idea. And I think in many, like, utopian ideals, everyone wants, like, you know, we just strip away all the identifying marks and we're just one people. Mm. Um, but then it, you know, it does then get down to, hang on, I can't be angry at you because you're just, you're just like me, when in fact you have all of these things which are different and go against what I believe and how I live my life. Yeah. Either because, you know, the, the classic one in the UK actually is the class one at the moment. Definitely. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. right, the general election, you've got left versus the right, you've got, uh, you know, eat the rich is getting more and more popular. Um, it's almost like a meme now to be like, who's, we need, we need people to, you know, get the guillotines out. The revolution has begun. I mean, when I was at school, um, so, I mean, I was, I was at Eton, and Eton has become, like, a focal point of yeah. class distress. After the Prime Minister. So. After all 20th and now, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite stressful. I was like, oh, we don't need, I was, I was wondering, like, oh, I wonder if, like, that could ever be something I do. And then I thought, nah, they don't need another Etonian there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had, we had a protest one day, and there was, like, and we had someone, the leader, this guy called Ian Bowen, was an anarchist, and the chart was, class wars the only war. And, it, you know, it was a really interesting idea that actually, like, why are there some people who have more than other people? And is it fair and how they live their lives? Is it fair? Um, we have to struggle and we have to fight and we have to do all of this just to live our lives. And you're there sitting pretty with copious amounts of money. Um, so, I mean, that, and that's the other thing. You know, identity isn't as simple as what you can see. It's, you know, it's how you believe about things and what you believe. You know, I'm a socialist. I'm a conservative. I'm a name. I'm a Would you say that recently identity politics might be the most overtaking and possibly ruining politics to an extent? Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you ask me at, my, at the beginning of uni, I'd be like, no, it's doing great things for democracy and it's yeah. really doing the right things. And I'd say now it is, yeah. I think, um, but at the same time, I think it's a necessary evil mm. in the sense that we've gone from all almost like a sort of zeitgeist attitude of like there was it, there was like amongst there was like a general attitude that no we are one people can buy our and anyone who didn't fit in that one people screw them. Yeah. you know it was like oh no they're not important if they don't fit with how we imagine so in many ways it is important to recognize everyone to recognize how we're different and i think it has gone too far but i think it's a necessary evil and any time something like this of any time there's societal change it always goes a little too far the other it way it goes down to cult- like cultural appropriation right it needs to happen in order to go back to this the middle right time. i mean i remember when like sudden when racism was the big thing and everyone's like i can't be racist and it's like oh that's racist oh that's racist and and like everyone's petrified of being racist and um everything was called racist and then and then we sort of come, we've come back to now and be like, no, we're pretty comfortable with what's, what's racist and what's not now. Um, we get, have to get to the really difficult, like, is that racist? And ponder it, yeah. like, theoretically, before we can say. And I think, in many ways, you know, society and culture is changing, and I think we've just gone a little bit too far the other way, and we'll come back the other way in time. And I don't think it will, it will ruin democracy. 
but I think it has it has changed democracy dramatically, yeah. and and it has um it has forced um politicians to assess how they view the world, uh, how they present their views to the world, um for fear of offence. But I think yeah, I think for me, the big worry. Um, most interesting thing is how people identify themselves in relation to offence. Mm. Yeah, offence. Yeah. Offence for ever, anything. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, people have always taken offence for anything. Um, and, you know, people will say... and some. But the problem with offence is that you, you might not be offensive to someone. You might not intend to offend them at all. That person can still take it as offence. And you cannot control that in how you speak to them. The best you can hope for is that they is that they approach you in a calm manner and say, Hey, I found that offensive, and you say, Oh god, I, I didn't mean to, and you can resolve it. Yeah. But you then get onto Twitter and trolling and you know, we've got two hundred and eighty characters to pass an opinion across and react to something. You don't have the same time to process. Mm-hmm. Especially when you sort of say, this is how I feel in a fit of anger. And then before you can even calm down and, you know, think, actually, do I process it? That's now open to the world. And you either get a massive amount of validation for that or a massive amount of hate, neither of which is conducive to good thought and good, like, reflection. Because either you sort of... You don't reflect and you get loads of people saying, that's a, oh, that's a great idea. And you're like, yeah, it is a great idea, regardless of whether it is or not. Yeah. Um, or you get loads of hating. Yeah. And you sort of think, oh, maybe it's... Actually, not only is this not a good idea, I now feel awful about myself for it. So there's very little room for error, which is actually the worst thing, you know. Very difficult for anyone to publicly say a lot of things in the yeah. media without getting slated by certain groups. It doesn't matter who yeah. you are. Cancel culture. Mass. I I hate the cancel culture. Yeah. I mean, again, two years ago, I'd be like they're cancelled, they're trash. We hate them. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, I I do that now. That's a massive joke because it's the cancel culture is awful. I think it it does a good thing and it says, hey, that's not okay. But the, but you know the Kevin Hart thing uh, for me is a prime example mm. of someone who writes consistently on Twitter all day every day, yeah. um, for ten years. Mm. They wrote something awful ten years ago, which it, which doesn't stop it being awful. Is mad, but they weren't called out for it. And after time, then it didn't matter. And if he wasn't going to be called out then, why ten years later someone has grown, someone has developed. Their attitudes has changed. They are different people. You know, whoever you were ten years ago is not the same person you are ten years later. With, yeah. with cancel culture, is that just shutting down? Yeah. So the idea that um, you find out that someone somewhere along in their history, either recent or you know long term, yeah. had says has said something disastrous or done something wrong, and you go right, they're a despicable human being. They're cancelled. Uh, we'll give them nothing. Um, and we're sort of like, no, and it's, it's sort of the idea of like, yeah, they're no longer important, they no longer have any value. 
which I think is again probably like an oversimplification of what it is, but yeah, and, and quite harsh of me to say they have no value. But that's the essence yeah. of cancel culture, is like who they are, what they do is cancelled. Our belief in them is cancelled. Do you think that's gonna get worse as social media sort of progresses? Um, I think I think I don't think it'll get worse. I think as social media progresses, people become more understanding that it does. It, there's no point to it. There's mm. no point bringing up someone's past. People often regret their past, yeah. and there's no point bringing that up because you may know you may I mean, you may still be offended, but uh-huh. not as deeply. Yeah. I think it's already reached a line. I think yeah, yeah, yeah it's I agree. Kind of just been like it, people. It started coming into like up here. So you you yeah, teach yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you teach everyone that obviously don't put stuff on your Snapchat yeah. story because um, yeah. it will come back to you and then we all know that but I mean I mean, the, but that's the thing my worry is that actually we are young when young people you know make stupid mistakes and that's a normal healthy process of living but ours is saved forever our mistakes right forever. which is something which is both great and awful in that it, and the whole you know teaching I you know everyone will have their own opinion on learning, teaching, but the best way to learn is by making mistakes, working out what doesn't work, and then reflecting and working out, okay, that didn't work, what about this? Oh, that now works, cool. And that's how you change all. And that's really important. Making errors is really important. And it, I think it's, and you know, when we look at people like Boris Johnson or you know, anyone David in the media Young, now, David Cameron, well, I respect like, him much more when I found out what happened with that pit. Right. He's only human, like he made mistakes but, and people are slating him for that, but why? It's, mm. it, it may be quite ridiculous and for most people, including myself, it's like, wow, that, that's, 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 that's grim, mate, don't do that. But it shows he's a human, he's just a normal... And, I think, and I think that's the thing, with, you know, I think it's really important that people have feel they can fail, feel that, you know, that they can make mistakes and it doesn't hinder them, um, which is the problem with cancel culture, is that it doesn't allow for growth. Mm-hmm. I think people, you're right, people are generally becoming more aware of social media and social media things, you know. Uh, I think there is becoming, there is a more educational attitude towards social media, you know. It used to be clip, you know, clip baiting is, is, it's still becoming more, like as much of a thing as it was two years ago but people are sort of getting better at actually I've seen this title that doesn't mean that's the whole story let me try and work out what the whole story is before I form you know a life changing opinion on it but the new worrying thing is deep fakes isn't it because deep fakes what do you know what do you no mean? so a deep fake is where someone sort of they upload a load of footage of like a particular person like Boris Johnson mm. into a computer and it then they are able to control what he says and what his face oh, is. Yeah. So that sort of thing. So they made one where Boris Johnson basically like backs um, the Labour Party mm. and basically said all his policies are terrible oh. and you should go vote for Labour. But someone had made that but at the end he revealed that he was a deep fake. But people are being tricked by these, yeah. and I don't blame them because they're yeah. so realistic, and there's no way of telling. Like Google and yeah. Facebook have tried to make like algorithms and things that see if it is a deep fake, yeah. and they can't tell. Yeah. And so that's going to be the new clickbait because yeah. it's just going to be spread. Yeah, that's terrifying. 
It is. Yeah, it's terrifying. You, you will believe it. Yeah. And then eventually be like, why do I believe that? Because, mm. you know, there's always been media manipulation. That's been around for ages, but that's a whole new level. Yeah. It's a whole you new level. You know, um, I actually read about this recently. So, like, there's been loads of um, media manipulation, especially in the 1930s. Mm. So when, um, like, they kind of first like, discovered the cannabis stuff, um, I can't really remember who it was at the time, but um, he essentially just pumped millions and millions into making like wacky comedies about um, about what like cannabis stuff. So like um, you all know like Pine- Pineapple Express, yeah. so stuff like that. But nineteen um, thirties films and all the bad things, um, and then they also had like um, and basically just put a horrible name on it. And even to this day, it's still like mm. a horrible name. Um, on it and stuff like hemp as well which is just an all natural thing yeah um make like bags out of it mm-hmm. and even though but because there's no like, internet or anything no it's all you had to, all you had in the 30s was libraries mm-hmm. so they yeah. just control the media and just and, completely yeah. like and in, and in the same way it, we see we you know we teach in psre now you know you look at the media on tobacco and like look how healthy and like social and fun this is mm-hmm. and it's like and now I, I don't know about you guys my image of tobacco is the one person who still smokes cigarettes standing outside in the rain at a party because it's like they need their nicotine fix I mean obviously vaping is now a thing so they need that less and less but it's that that was certainly my image for like a long time compared to I think how it was initially presented and so media manipulation is always really scary and I think, and I think that's the other thing where you know, getting back to identity politics, where it gets really quite terrifying, mm-hmm. is someone making us, you know, someone doing saying something well intentioned, but in the process unintentionally offending offending someone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you know we have and not being allowed to make that mistake and having someone say, "Hey, this is how you should say it," and them going, "Oh, okay." And then doing it that way, and I think it's it's an it's a really it's an ignorance thing, or an uneducated thing. And either way, the problem with those things is that they're really emotional trigger words. So even though it is true that someone is just simply not educated in why things are offensive, why you can't say, why you can't um, refer to gay people as I don't want to say it, but you know the F word and yeah. so and and why you can't call transgender people why transgender people why transgender is the right word yeah. to call transgender people. It's often just because they haven't been educated, they haven't been they are ignorant of Do you think society nowadays has become too like worried about what to say or worried about the consequence of things. So if we look like mm. 20 years ago, everyone was smoking mm. and mm. no one thought second about it. Yeah, yeah. And then it was almost like, you could say more what you can say then than you can now almost, uh. because there wasn't as much like backing behind your consequences, mm. if you know what I mean. Um, I think- society's become too worried or too-, too but, I mean, that, that's, that's a good question. I. I think, in many ways, it's a good thing that society is t- trying to take a moment to think about it. Mm. That there is that pause. Oh, is this offensive? I think, in many ways, that is healthy because you are still in a process of learning, and there's still so much information out there, and 
you know, some people say, well, this is fine, that's not fine. And I think as long as anything you do, you try and do with respect and with the right intentions, it's yeah. not, you, you should never really get into too much trouble for that. But I think, and I don't think it will get worse. I don't think it will get to a stage where people feel like they can't say anything. Yeah. But I think it will, I think there will, I think people now are just, I don't think it will. I think we're at it now. I don't think it will get too much worse than where we're at now. Because if it does, then we get into really dangerous, like, I don't want to say Nazi-esque, but we get into a very limited... Yeah. Orwellian. Yeah. Like the thought police. Yeah, the thought police. And like 1984, and so like, you can't... It's like... Oh, I didn't say that. No, but you thought it. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, I, and, you know, again, that's like being quite fanatical about it, quite dramatic. Mm. But I think, I don't think it will get there. And I'm worried if it will, because I think free speech is important. And I mean, then free speech gets really interesting. Yeah, we, we don't have free speech. Do you I, not think we do? I don't think To an extent we do, but we don't have total free speech. We have free speech until you offend someone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think free. I think free speech. People are often confused by what it is. I think we do, but I think it's. I think it. We have gotten into trickier territory than we have been. I think we do ultimately have free speech, but I think any limits on free speech, such as hate speech, yeah. exist not to stifle um, thought and expression and people making errors. To stifle radicalism. It's to stifle radicalism. And more importantly, it's, it's the kind of idea that we, everyone in the UK, has, uh, has agreed as citizens that we are here to, res- that we respect one, each other, one another and we respect each other's opinions and that we respect e- who each other are. And hate speech stops with is when you stop respecting other people well conversely that could go the other way because if somebody genuinely disagrees with well for example uh, there are a large number of people who disagree with transgender as a topic like they just it's not that they don't understand it they just don't agree with it but people not accepting that disagreement on the other side is that classified as hate speech as well I think that's not well then it then it gets to the thing where it's hang on it, it goes from, are you saying, are you saying that to someone who's transgendered? I don't think, you know, trans, um, I don't think trans people should exist. I don't, I think you're mentally and you're wrong. That's a very different thing to someone saying, you know, in a private space, I'm not sure about it. It, it doesn't make sense to me and I'm confused. Like, I, this is why I think it's wrong. That's free speech. It turns into hate speech when you're yelling at someone and you're telling and you're persistently saying and, and accusing people and saying you're not valid in my view and my view is more important than your view. I think that's where it goes from hate free speech to hate speech. But then exercise is saying that to the to the person who is a, a yeah. transgender, like that person who is transgender could completely disrespect that other person's hate speech, even though it is hate speech, it is regarded as hate speech, they're just still disrespecting that opinion, which almost... Under- no, 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 but then that's the thing, is that 
that's where I think, uh, I see what you're saying, that's where it gets wrong. In that case, trans people aren't, aren't disagreeing with, they're disagreeing with the opinion, and that's fine. Disagreements and differences in opinion are good. But protesting against an opinion. It's, but the problem, the, cha- the change is, and this is where identity politics gets messy, and again, is it turns from, are you, do you have criticism with the opinion or with the person? And that's where it gets tricky. If it's free speech saying, free speech is saying, here's my opinion. Hate speech is saying, here's my opinion on you as a human being. And that's where it gets really tricky with identity politics. Because at what point do you, do you have a, um, a difference of opinion? And at what point do you have a difference of opinion of people? That's where identity politics gets really tricky and messy. Because it's when it stops being about opinion and it starts being about human validity. So if you say that free speech is about giving your opinion mm. and then hate speech is about giving your opinion about someone, yeah. is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. But then how do you... But then if you, if, you, yeah. if you say, say we're on the topic of trans people, if you yeah. give your opinion about trans people, um, at just the topic of trans people, how do you not offend them to give your own free speech? You've got to, because you've got to talk about gender theory. You right. can't talk about, well, because when you talk about the people and you, and it's very easy to offend people when you get into stereotypes and, um, you know, backwards ideals, especially when you don't know trans people personally. Yeah. And you're just saying, well, I've seen them on the news and these are my opinions and I think they're wrong. Yeah. That's one thing. It's then a different thing to say, well, look, this is how I've understood gender theory and this is my approach and I think this is where the breakdowns are. That's like free, that's exercising free speech and having a difference in opinion. That's not promoting hate speech. But that is an ideal world. Yeah, no, and I, yeah. I think all the truth is, there'll never be an ideal. No, and this is like, so. There's always going to be people who dislike other people and people who are radically aggressive, passive-aggressive, whether it's mm. speech, aggressive speech, or mm. aggressive actions, all the people, and that will always happen, and something society is just going to have to deal yeah. with. Yeah, I mean, it, I, that's where utopia as a word is really interesting. Do you know this? Mm. So, you, do you know what utopia stands for? Yeah, perfect. What does it stand for? So, not stands for, that makes sense, no, no, but as in, like, uh, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a word founded in Greek, and the whole point of it is that it's, like, it's got two roots in Greek. So topos means place. So the idea of topia mm. means place. Dis, so we have a dystopia yeah. being like, that's a bad place. Yeah. This literally means like bad. Mm. It's a bad place. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The U could either mean well, mm. so like the good place, hence like the show, yeah. the good place, or U, meaning not a place. So it creates this idea that a utopia is a fundamental ideal which is everyone tries to reach for, but it cannot exist. It does not exist. And what's the people that are actually that? So the, the, a utopia... Two meanings, so so yeah. the U, so what's really funny is that, so the U um, in Greek either has an E before it or an O before it. If it has an E, it means good. Yeah. If it has an O, it means not. 
So a place that doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or it can be in a good place. Um, depends on how you view that. So that's kind of saying there's a good place that doesn't exist if you put them together. So the idea is that yeah. the you, you, it both means it is a good place and it doesn't exist. And it's and that's when utopias get really interesting because it's sort of like flaws, you know, flaws exist. Yeah. Even in dystopias, it's not totally awful. There are good things. You know, or at least there can be found some remnant of goodness and that can be changed into a normal, like, topotopia. But then the idea of utopia is so... In reaching utopia, there must be flaws. It seems kind of... It, that seems like it's kind of, like, bred into, um, like, human genetics, though, because... Mm. Um, so, for example, like, like, Bill Gates, he has, like, all the money in the world. Yeah. Whatever. He has... Everything. He has a nice, he's a loving family or whatever. But he, um, he, he went, he went through cancer, didn't he? Didn't he beat cancer? Oh, I don't personally know. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. Okay. He was, he was, he was really ill. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I think. You sure it wasn't yeah. Steve Jobs? Yeah. No, Steve it definitely wasn't okay. Steve Jobs. Anyway. Okay. Um. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so basically, I just, this, even though his life is so perfect, mm. I don't think he's constantly happy. Um, no one is. Oh, well, happiness, I think, again, is a flaw. Like, I think the idea... So there's two... There's different types of happiness. I think there's contentness. Yeah. You know, are you happy? Satisfied. Are you satisfied? Are you physically um, satisfied? Are you spiritually satisfied? I think those are all things that, you, you know, you can be more satisfied than other things, mm. in some cases rather than other cases. But I think the idea of are you happy are my children you know the big thing is like I just want my children to be happy it, 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 it fundamentally it, there's some fundamental flaws in that in that you cannot be happy without being sad you can't know what happiness is without knowing what sadness is you can be content in that you aren't miserable mm. and you are like satisfied mm. but to be happy you need to know what sad is and you can't you need the bad times to know the good times and vice versa. You need the good times to know when it's bad. Yeah. So I um, read somewhere that said like, so if you go cold water swimming, like ice cold mm. water swimming, because uh, it makes you so miserable and horrible, it's a really good way for people with depression because you come out and feel so happy because you've been so cold and miserable within the water. So you feel sadness and then you come out because it's like such a relief to come out. Uh, you just feel like, happier than ever uh, well not than ever but like happier yeah, yeah. than before so that's like one of those things where it's showing like you have to be sad and like feel that like pain and miserable to then know yeah. what happiness is well, that also explains why like when people are grieving yeah. it's good for them to get all their emotions out and yeah. talk to people yeah, yeah, yeah because then afterwards they just it's off them yeah which is why it's you know anytime you're having you are emotional anytime you're trying to suppress it yeah they don't even it gets worse because they, they haven't had that experience of going down yeah. and so then like and so their body's like no we're supposed to be going down now we're like you're motioning you know, we need a down point and then it just you know then it builds up needing the down point so yeah so I think that, that's that's the cool thing about happiness yeah. but yeah so I think I don't so I don't so not to conclude but like you know going back to identity politics that I think Identity politics is then, you know, actually along the happiness line, I don't know how much time we've got up, but 
along that happiness line, the problem, the flaw with identity politics is that, and I think for a lot of people, is that they then find satisfaction and joy and contentment in their identity. Instead of like, I don't know who I was, and then I found this group of people, I found this, and this is important to me. This is where I form my identity around. And they stick to that, and they find it anything... I found my contentness in this thing that is marginalised and that you don't like. So I'm basing my di- my identity around that, about bringing that up. Mm. And I think um, it, it can... It, it's an unhealthy relationship with identity. I was watching... Um, what, uh, what was it called? It's like, do you think I'm fat or... Are you calling me fat? It was, it was a two-part documentary, like, um, series thing. I think I may have seen that. Which I found really interesting. And it was... I genuinely thought it was scripted. That it was, like... That we had, like... You had this one woman who was, like... Using all this language that I've come to, like, listen to and break down. Um, with a lot of... Uh, in, in sort of gender and feminist like movements, you know, third wave is all of the vocabulary that you hear in like third, second and third wave feminism, which is like, you know, rebelling against societal oppression. And also like, I mean, you're, you're fat. I don't think you're not, I don't think society thinks less of you because you're fat. And I think if anything, there's also a difference between being fat and being obese. And I think, but it was this, you know, there were people who were like, no, I'm, I'm fat and I'm proud. And it was sort of, um, and I was sort of like, oh, this is, seems quite unhealthy because your whole identity seems to be around the fact that you're fat. Yeah. Not, I couldn't tell you anything about who you are other than you annoy me because of how much you want to tell me you're fat. So I think that's, you know, where identity politics gets not only messy, but also aggravating for a lot of people, yeah. is that it stops being about, here's the thing, it's about his, it's about your identity. It's like, hang on, it's not even about who you are, it's about one aspect that you're like, trying to defiantly hold on to, which is taking away from something. Mm. That's where social media sort of comes a bit bad in that sense, mm. because some people I know following like Fox News only or like mm-hmm. some sort of yeah. Facebook group which only posts this type of point of view, this mm-hmm. only the only this perspective, and then they get locked into this sort yeah. of one mindset and then everything outside that is fake news yeah. or wrong. W- right. Which is just really toxic and damaging because we haven't really had this before in the maybe the last mm-hmm. twenty years or so. Because before that you had, you know, maybe one or two news uh, news channels you had newspapers mm. and you couldn't just i mean you could but it was more difficult to follow one point yeah. of view and i think that's a huge issue at the moment with identity politics mm. is people's sort of, some people's inability to accept other people's point of view yeah and i think yeah so like both sides of the spectrum as it were any time there's like a problem with identity politics it's usually because two people refuse to listen to each other and actually refuse to is both refusing to listen to each other's opinions and then refusing to accept that they are valid enough to have an opinion. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately where everything breaks down because I think, you know, you need diversity, you need differences of opinion, 
they're all important. It's just then changing your perspective on what is opinion and what it on um, you know what's the difference, what's an opinion versus what is you know a, a view on whether that opinion is valid. But our almost brings up the question of whether opinions are subjective or objective, like as in what way? Oh, yes, what do you mean? We've been discussing this in theory. Oh, like, okay. If you think about it, like an opinion should be something that's completely subjective and individual to each person. But can you have a wrong opinion or a right opinion? Or because for certainly, if someone okay. thinks, if someone thinks that, for example, it's healthy to be dangerously obese. Mm. That is, for me personally, a wrong opinion. It's not healthy, and you should be trying if you can to do something about it. Because there's there's um, a completely um, objective scale that mm. shows um, healthy weight, um, yeah, um, underweight, yeah. and then obese. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like, so they're kind of just like, almost in a way ignoring the object. That's why people yeah. find that opinion wrong because it's ignoring the. Yeah. I mean, I think the hardest, I think, I see what you're saying. I think when I hear something like that, my opinion is like an informed opinion versus an uninformed opinion. So that's what, and I get where it gets tricky when someone can have like a right opinion, but that's still misinformed. Mm. It's sort of like, is that opinion still right, even though it hasn't been fully informed? What do you mean by misinformed right opinion? So the idea that you can come you can come to the right conclusion but your methodology was completely false kind of thing. It's sort of like, well you've got here and you agree with me, I like that you're agreeing with me, but the reason you agree with me is fundamentally wrong. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like it, I can't I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of an example now. But sort of like the idea that um, yeah, gay gay people are fine. I'm like, oh, what a great what a great thing to say. Yeah, because, like, women are, like, the sexes don't belong to be mixed together. So, of course, like, you need, yeah. like, yeah. men to be with men and women to be with women. That's how it should be. And you're like, oh, no. You're, you're, how you got there is completely wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like, that's where it's sort of like, oh, right opinion, but still misinformed. Yeah. And so it's like... Is that right? Is that opinion? Is that still right, even though it's been completely misinformed? Who decides if it's misinformed? Well, the only thing that I would say is, you know, well, then, yeah, then you. Then it just, just keep going. You can, I was, say, the, uh, then, I, was about, I was about to then say something else, but yeah, you can just spiral from there. So, like, well, how much information have they had to go off? And then yeah. you sort of like, well, when's enough information? Like, how much information is enough? Yeah. Well, that was really interesting. Yeah, well, I hope you, yeah, you've come you away with something. Thank you very much. Very welcome. Yeah, that was very interesting. So, yeah, I guess the end of episode three. Oh, lovely. See you.